Jesus, may we see you this evening. Amen. Burning hearts and eyes wide open. That's uh, what I hope and pray we will have on this Easter Sunday evening. And and the reason I, I say that is partly because it was the experience of two people on the very first Easter Sunday evening. Burning hearts and eyes wide open. If you have a copy of God's Word and you'd like to turn to Luke chapter 24, there are Red Pew Bibles. If you you want to look at this up, it's page 1061. It's verses 13 to 35. If you were at church this morning, we read them down in Fane Street. And so what I want to do is, is just talk you through them. There are two disillusioned disciples who are walking this seven-mile stretch of the road from Jerusalem to a place, a village called Emmaus, and they're discussing, they're talking together. They're talking about the weekend's tragic events. Their legs are heavy, but their hearts are also heavy. They're not in great form. And the reason for that is primarily because their dreams have been shattered. Their hope lies dying. In fact, he lies dead. Jesus, the one that they had followed, the one who they thought was the one who was going to rescue them, he had been crucified. He had been killed on Friday. And now he had been led to rest in a borrowed grave, a borrowed tomb. Apparently his actual body was no longer in the tomb according to some other disciples, but but they knew that Jesus was dead. Everybody knew that Jesus was dead. And, And so they walk along and they're downbeat and they're crestfallen, they're disenchanted. And then from nowhere, or it would seem from nowhere, Jesus joins them. Only they don't know it's Jesus. It's not that they don't know it's Jesus. It actually says they were kept from knowing that it was Jesus. How that worked, we don't know. Nobody knows. And then the stranger, or Jesus, does what Jesus often does. I love this. He asks a question. I know we have kind of made a big thing of this in the past, but asking questions was one of Jesus' favorite teaching techniques. And here, on this road, he does it again. He asks a question because he knows that questions draw people in. They get them involved but it's pretty clear that the two disciples cannot believe the question he's asking. And so they think to themselves, have you been shut in all weekend? Have you you talked to no one? Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem? Are you the only Passover pilgrim who doesn't know what happened this weekend? And again, Jesus comes back at them with a question. He says, what, what things? 
Now, despite their surprise at the stranger's ignorance, one of the disciples who's called Cleopas, he jumps at the chance to talk about Jesus. And, and here's how he describes Jesus. He says, he was a prophet. He was powerful in word and deed before God and before all the people. As far as they were concerned, this Jesus was different from anyone and everyone else they'd ever known. What he did was amazing. What he said was life-changing. But they really did think he was going to rescue Israel. But then they say to the stranger, but the chief priests, our rulers, killed him on Friday. And just to add insult to injury, they tell the stranger, his body has been taken and some of our friends are seeing visions of angels telling them that Jesus is alive. That, that's what's been happening. And so this stranger is now up to speed with events. But what he says next in response must have taken the two disciples back. Because he turns round and rebukes them. This, this wasn't what they were expecting. But the stranger says in verses 25 and 26, how foolish you are. How slow to believe that the prophets have spoken. And then this stranger, Jesus, asks yet another question. Did the Messiah not have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And before the strangers are, or the disciples are able to answer this time, the stranger leads them in what must have been the best Bible study ever. The best Bible overview and summary ever. Because look at verse 27. It says this. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Can you imagine what that must have been like? Must have been amazing. Jesus telling his story. Jesus telling God's story, the whole story from Genesis on. And explaining that the redemption, the rescue that they had longed for and hoped for and dreamed of, it was only going to be found in a suffering Messiah who had to be crucified and then enter his glory. And so what was happening here is the stranger was helping them see and understand that all that has just happened in the past three days, it's all part of the script. This was all part of the big story. It was all meant to happen. This wasn't the end. There, this was part of the next chapter in the unfolding drama. Even that phrase there at the end, and then enter his glory, it clearly implied that crucifixion, death was maybe not the end. Yes, the Messiah was dead and buried, but then he was somewhere. Enter his glory. Could he be alive again? Now you can only imagine having been led in this incredible study of God's word, how the two disciples were feeling and processing all this information. Although 
It's not entirely true to say you can only imagine how they were feeling because we know exactly. Because look at verse 32. Because as they reflect back on this, they ask each other, were not our hearts burning within us when he talked with us on the road and he opened the scriptures to us? You see, Jesus set their hearts on fire as God's word was explained and spoken into their lives. The story of Jesus, the Messiah, as found in all of scripture, because the point is all of scripture is about Jesus. And as they listened, it got under their skin, it impacted, it affected their hearts. Their hearts burned. And God's word can still do that. Why? Because Jesus is still revealed to us in and through the spoken and written word of God. And when we hear it, and when we get it, and when we understand it, when we meet the living word in the living word, our hearts burn. And maybe this is not necessarily the key reason, but a main reason why Jesus didn't walk up to these two disciples and just say, it's me. Maybe this is why they were kept from knowing his identity. They were kept from recognizing Jesus so that they would base their understanding of who he was and all that happened to him firmly on scripture as opposed to experience. And that is really important. That their recognition of Jesus came as Jesus was revealed to them through God's word. If you do have a Bible open, glance down to verses 44 and 46 of this same chapter and look at what Jesus says to another group of reeling disciples who are trying to get their heads and hearts around what is going on. And this is what it says. It's on the screen as well. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me. In the law of Moses, the prophets, the Psalms, this is all of scripture. And then it says, he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. And he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. You see, engaging with and understanding the scriptures concerning Jesus is so critical. God's word all points to. God's word is all about. God's word testifies about Jesus. And it's through that lens that we discover who Jesus is. It's through that lens that we come to know him. We get closer to him. Even early on in John's gospel, Jesus is in dialogue with the Pharisees. And he makes this very point. It's fascinating again. They, they didn't get it. They did read the scriptures. And that, that, that's a good thing. But they effectively missed the point of the scriptures. And so here's what Jesus said to the Pharisees in John chapter 5. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. And then this is what he says. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. They point to me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. You see, as we read, as we listen to, as we grapple with, wrestle with, and discuss God's word, that is where we encounter Jesus. We see that it's all about him. All scripture testifies about Jesus. And as we do that, as we read and listen and engage and wrestle, our hearts burn. 
And so on this Easter Sunday evening, please allow and keep allowing scripture and all that it says concerning Jesus to get under your skin and impact your heart. We go back to the story. Because with hearts burning, the two disciples and their travel companion, they arrive at the village. Their seven-mile journey is over. And, and the stranger, this storyteller extraordinaire, gives the distinct impression that his journey's not over. He has got to go on. He has more miles to cover. But the two disciples, it says, they strongly urge him. They insist, please, stay with us. Stop with us for a while. And the stranger says, okay. And so they go into a home. And at some point after, we assume they have freshened up, they've had a wash, the three of them sit down to eat. And immediately the stranger takes the lead. And it says that he takes bread. And he gives thanks. And he breaks it. And he hands it to them. And then if you look, it says at that moment, two things happened. One, immediately, their eyes are opened and they recognize Jesus. He is alive. He has risen. Hope has been restored. But then the second thing is Jesus immediately disappears from their sight. And the question is, why did their eyes open at this particular moment? Why did their eyes open then? Some people think that as Jesus broke the bread and handed it to him, that at that moment they noticed the nail prints in his hands. Maybe. Others think that because of the obvious connections between the Last Supper and this supper, that as Jesus takes and breaks and blesses and distributes bread, that eyes are opened. In broken bread, we see Jesus. That's also a possibility. But I want to take you right back to the very beginning. Not the beginning of this story in, in, in Luke 24, verse 13, but back to the very beginning of everything back to the start of the Bible, back to the start of the big story where we read about one of the very first meals. In Genesis 3, 6 and 7, we discover that the woman took some of the fruit and she ate it and she gave some to her husband and he ate it and then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew they were naked. Now compare that to what happened during this meal in a mess. Their eyes were opened and they recognized him. The contrast in those two sentences is striking. The first recorded meal of creation is a turning point. Death, decay, pain, sorrow can all be traced back to that moment. But here in what can be seen as one of the first recorded meals of the new creation, Luke reveals a new day has dawned. 
two disciples have their eyes opened in a positive sense this time because this time they don't see themselves and recognize their sinfulness and their nakedness, but they are able to see Jesus. In other words, death has been defeated. Jesus is alive. The curse of Genesis 3 has been reversed. Easter Sunday, Resurrection Day marks a brand new beginning as eyes start opening and nothing has ever been or ever will be the same again. The contrast between one of the first ever meals where eyes were opened and humanity recognized its state to one of the first meals of the new creation when eyes were opened and humanity recognized Jesus. And then we go back to a mess. And Jesus is gone. Their eyes are open, but Jesus is gone. He's physically removed himself. But what does it say the disciples did? Immediately they get up and they become witnesses to what they have seen and heard. It says they return to Jerusalem. They make the seven mile track back to Jerusalem and they tell the other disciples, it's true. Jesus has risen. Let us tell you our story of meeting him. And at this point in time in history, they simply, and, and this is again another interesting thing about it, they simply witness to other disciples. They, they don't witness to the wider world. Why? Because that task must wait until they are empowered from on high to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That day will come, in fact, in about seven weeks, 50 days from resurrection day. They will be empowered by the Holy Spirit to be Christ's witnesses. But for now, they witness to the other disciples. But their example to us this evening to us who live post-Pentecost and therefore who have, we have the empowering Holy Spirit living within us. Their example is important because on today of all days, we must get up from here and go and tell others that Jesus has risen, that Jesus is alive and we must not be afraid to share our story of knowing Jesus, the Jesus of all of Scripture. And so Luke 24, this, this part of the story ends there. There is so much to consider, but on this Easter Sunday evening, I hope and pray that as I said at the start, we will go from here with, with hearts that burn and with eyes that are wide open and also maybe mouths that speak of the risen Christ. And it seems so appropriate that this evening the table is set before us and that we get the opportunity on this Easter Sunday evening to meet around the table of the Lord. And it is his table. It's not our church's table. It's his table. We meet with Jesus here as we eat and as we drink and as we have the chance to remember. And so I invite you to come to this table. 
And I invite you to say these words from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Kind of words of declaration. And so can I invite you to join me as we say them together. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Afterwards, he appeared to his followers and to all the apostles. This we have received and this we believe. We're going to sing what is known as the communion hymn as we prepare our hearts to meet around his table. Behold the Lamb. Let's stand together. We're just going to sing the first three verses at this stage, and then we'll sing the last verse at the end. But let's stand together and sing Behold the Lamb.